Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our first sponsor today is Navy Haircare. I have been working with Navy Haircare since they launched back in 2018. At that time, I was about a year postpartum with our third child, and my hair was experiencing some trouble after some significant postpartum hair loss. Navy really helped to strengthen my hair, and I noticed a big difference about one to two months after using it regularly. With biotin, vitamins, and rosemary oil, this shampoo and conditioner combo has been part of my daily routine for years now. I also use the charcoal mask every one to two weeks to help revitalize my hair. It helps to dry out toxins, heavy metals, and impurities, which we have plenty of since we have well water. This mask will leave your hair feeling incredibly soft and lightweight. You can use the code Lindsay, L-Y-N-Z-Y, for 30% off your order. And I will leave the links to the products I mentioned within the show notes. Hello everyone. Today I'll be chatting with Jean Jupe. Jean is the co-founder and president of the Institute for Multisensory Education, founded in 1996. IMSC has become the national leader in structured literacy professional development based on the science of reading having trained more than 200,000 teachers, creating millions of readers. In today's episode, we will talk about structured and balanced literacy, why schools need to shift to structured literacy, what the Orton-Gillingham method is and why it works, and so much more. If you listened to my recent episode with Miss Beth and why our children cannot read, this is a continuation of that conversation. Let's dive in. Just a little disclaimer before we start this episode, This podcast does not provide medical advice. The information on this podcast is for informational purposes only. No material on this site is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. All right, everyone. Today we have Jean Jupe. Excited to have you on the show today. Excited to be here, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. So I am excited to talk about the topic we are exploring today because I recently, a few weeks ago, had Miss Beth on the show talking about understanding the science of reading. And the reason why I even started researching this topic for the podcast was because of our own personal experiences with our children learning how to read within the public school systems. And It's really surprising to me every time I talk to a new mom about this subject and they have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. (laughs) And the crazy thing about it is that once you dive in, you know, it's this whole realm of things that you do not understand because it's not something that you've studied for 
your life and, and something that you do for a career. And so people started throwing all these terms at me when I first started exploring how I could work with my seven-year-old when it came to reading. And people would be throwing out like the structured literacy versus balanced literacy and like all these different things, the Orton Gilling. I remember somebody saying, okay, you need to make sure you find an OG tutor. And I was like, you mean like the OG, like someone who's been in it for a long time? (laughs) What are you saying? And it's hard when you're a working parent or even a stay-at-home parent, just super busy like having to take this on and you have to learn about it and know what you're talking about in order to get your child the help they need. Because there's just no way of navigating it without understanding it. So anyway, all of that to say, I'm excited, Jean, to have you on to talk about structured literacy. What exactly is that? What does it look like in the classroom and like the differences between structured and balanced literacy so that we can better better understand like what we're up against and what our children might be facing when they first learn to read within the public school system? I personally was probably had a, a balanced approach to learning how to read growing up. I had a phonics-based curriculum and probably a little bit of different levels and, and structure in in the system with their phonics program, but I wasn't, I don't remember ever struggling learning how to read. I was the youngest of six and I was reading proficiently and went to college and was basically taught that is not the way that you teach reading. You do not teach phonics, you teach whole language, you immerse children in books and literature, and you don't teach them how to spell, and they will pick it up, and they will intrinsically know how to read and spell if you provide good quality instruction in terms of comprehension and supplying them with an array of genres and books and things like that. So I was like, "Mm, that's quite interesting. I was really fascinated in linguistics at the university as well. So took many classes in that. So when I was graduated and went to teach first grade in Ohio, I had realized, hmm, half of my class doesn't know how to read and I have no idea how to teach them. I have first graders in the classroom who are crying and calling themselves stupid that they can't read or write. And I didn't know how to help. And that was quite frustrating for me because I didn't feel that I was properly trained in the university. I felt like the school didn't have the resources to help me educate these children. And I felt like a failure. And a lot of them were being pulled out for reading recovery and were coming back into the classroom reading, but it, it what appeared to be reading, but really it was just these memorizations of these picture books, you know, like I like ice cream or <laughs> I like to and a big read. ice cream cone on it. And a big ice cream cone and a big book on it. And you're making things up along those ways. So I was definitely searching for something because again, like I said, I felt like a failure. I felt very, very stressed at the ability to do my job proficiently and was definitely on a mission. And and you know, like after struggling for three years with that, I had moved to Michigan and had found someone speaking about Orton Gillingham and sat down at this, you know, they said like, join us to, to help struggling readers. And it was like this forum basically of a, this tutoring company who was trying to just find tutors basically for their tutoring center, but saying this is what the problem is and talked about Orton Gillingham. And it was like this, it was like this, the savior for me. 
of this is exactly not what children with dyslexia need because Orton Gilliam was associated like listening to this this forum was basically like for dyslexic children. And I just said, hmm, this is actually what all children need. This isn't just for people who have dyslexia. I could see how components of this program of OG or Orton Gillingham could be utilized in the gen ed classroom in the kindergarten, first grade, second grade arena. And so we, so I really dived in. I paid Back then, $1,500 to take a course and had to work, paid for some of it, didn't have enough money back then to really pay for the whole thing. So I had to tutor off probably, I don't know, 500 hours of instruction of tutoring. And with that tutoring is probably where I was very profound in the depth and and breadth of what were the problems of children, of what they were seeing, as well as adults. I worked from from anywhere from four years of age to 80 for people who did never learn how to read and who had been like, I just want to be able to read to my grandchildren or a business professional saying I'm a successful businessman at age 50. And I went to high school at a, at a Catholic high school, graduated, got a sports scholarship to college, had no idea how to read. I have a practice right now. I don't know how to read. My secretary doesn't even know. I don't know how to read. It's fascinating to me because of, of how the the cope like other coping skills that they have to to really be able to execute and deliver because they have a lot of other gifts right they have a lot of other strengths that make them successful so with that I started the Institute for Multisensory Education in 1996 with the components of the foundation of Orton Gillingham and Orton Gillingham brought in this sequential cumulative structured approach to teaching reading and and it was repetitive a little bit over and over again and knew that with that repetitiveness as well as well as with some fluency practice and that's like repeated readings we could probably teach these children pretty quickly how to read and it was true because we start i started working with some inner city schools with special ed teaching this Orton Gillingham philosophy and the special ed children were surpassing the general ed students in the classroom because they weren't using anything because Orton Gillingham, quote unquote, was deemed, for, as I said, for children with dyslexia. So back in the 1930s, this Dr. Samuel Orton and Anna Gillingham, who was an educator, were like studying how, how this could be utilized and how successful it is. So we basically modernized it. So we took the best components of Orton Gillingham or OG, and we melded it with all the essentials of the reading practice of really what structured literacy is. So to me, this is not something that's new. To me, this is something that we've really been doing since 1996. So I, and it's really having the five elements of instruction. So you have to have phonological awareness. You have to have phonics. You have to have fluency. You have to have vocabulary and you have to have comprehension. And if you don't have all five elements, then somewhere the system is going to break and the children aren't going to be strong, successful readers. So it's, first of all, it's crazy to me that you did this back in 1996. We're in 2023 and I'm talking to you about how my child is still being taught. Is this not mind blowing to you specifically? Like, how is it that we have gone from you realizing this very early on in your career that we had a problem and we are 20 plus 30 years, 
what is the problem, do you think? Like, at the root, like, why is it that we don't want to go in the direction of children the right way to read? I just don't understand it. I don't know if I have an answer to what the problem is. I just know that I was blessed of being in the right place at the right time of going to reading conferences, meeting all of these researchers. Like I met like Dr. Reed Lyon from the National Institute of Child Health and Development, who was showing brain studies of what does a dyslexic brain look like? What does a struggling brain look like and what we can do to fix it? And I just surrounded myself by conferences and education and reading and following all of that of putting my head down and doing what I did best, teaching teachers how to teach reading to the children. Okay. So that I shifted in 1996 to this, my company teaches teachers. So I said, we're not tutoring. We're teaching the teachers because they're going to have the biggest impact year over year. And we never really stopped evolving or growing. The more that we learned, the more that we changed. Science is changing. It's evolving. You find new research. You find new studies. And But we really kept to the best practice. And back when we did start, it was, as, you, as we know, it was balanced literacy, uh, still kind of like that whole language. But what we were talking to the schools about of it doesn't matter what you teach, just come in and do what we do, like as well. Okay. So have us as your phonics, spelling, handwriting, fluency, and then your re- regular reading curriculum or whatever you're using is it's going to work. So start with us kind of thing. Right. And then, and then weave it into whatever curriculum that you're using, still using our philosophy, our practices to move your students at a greater pace. And and a lot of schools were seeing that and doing that. I think a lot of schools, again, have bought into the system. They trusted it, right? They trusted all the publications and the Houghton Mifflins and the Heinemans and whoever else and whatever they were taught to do and told to do. Right. We look at it because again, I've been, I, I want to say I'm fighting. I'm like working with schools. I'm working with teachers. I'm working with parents. I, I do want to say when we first started, I started with parents and I made a kit called Sensational Strategies for Beginning Readers. And it was a home parenting kit with a VHS tape and like a little card pack and a little sand, it was sand for letter formation. And it had all these different skills that the parents could actually, I could educate them on the VHS and then they could step-by-step implement something at home if they had the time and wanted to do that. (laughs) So we taught them how to, what do letter cards say? What do these cards say? And how do you produce those sounds? And I know that I learned that as an educator. Parents aren't going to know those things. You're not going to know that when, you know, you look at TH is going to have two different sounds because you don't think about it. You know, that TH can say a voice sound like in that or a soft sound like TH, which is unvoiced like in bath and why and where and, and why that all is. We wanted to educate parents so they could get number one, knowledge. Number one, help their struggling readers or beginning readers, right? To give them that advantage that they weren't getting in school. 
And, and then, then working with the teachers to in, empower the teachers of, listen, let's put this into the classroom. Let's do this 45 minutes a day. And then you're going to start seeing where your general population of your students are going to be launching and, and reading to learn instead of learning to read when they're third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade. And that's what I was seeing. It, it's heartbreaking. And, and we teach teachers all over this country. And again, like I said, putting our head down, doing what we do best, and that is professional development for teachers and providing a graduate level course with many different avenues to help support them. Digital resources when COVID hit and <laughs> providing them with slides that they can instruct virtually and having teacher guides that they could follow step-by-step -step instruction of how to teach these children. Whether it's in, I'm going to talk about tiers in terms of, of, of literacy. And so we have the general classroom is what we consider tier one. And we have tier two is intervention. And tier two can be taught by an interventionist if you have them in your school district. Or tier two can be taught by the general ed teacher. And think about it, that as like small group instruction. Right. And then tier three is going to be for that special education. We're going to have even a like three to one kind of population of students. But each of those levels have timeframes of how long they should be working with each group. So it's not just getting the special ed to go out and teach the children. It's getting double dosed. Right. Those children in, in tier three should be getting it like three times the, the amount of time that children are getting it in tier one. Because 95% of children deserve the right to learn structured literacy and to have a sequential, systematic, cumulative program taught to them. Can you explain to us a little bit, like break down the difference between structured literacy and balanced literacy? What are the, like, what did they both look like? A balanced literacy was just really dealing with whatever the curriculum that they were taught. And so it wasn't, it wasn't structured. It would just be given like a list of words sent home and they would have, for example, this is a perfect example. My daughter was learning about the O sound. Okay. This is in kindergarten. And she had a worksheet. Okay. That had every different sound of O. Like owl was a picture on her page. She had ostrich that was on the page. She had I, I, like Every different scenario of anything that was like long vowel sounds. And she had, oh, there was an acorn on there. <laughs> it had the or sound in the middle of the word. And it was very confusing for me. Of course, I, I couldn't really talk to anybody at the school. I wasn't allowed. I just, I tried to stay away and let my husband go to the parent-teacher conferences. But but anyway, I was like looking at these worksheets and, and no wonder children were struggling because when you open up alphabet books, right? Alphabet books are not correct. And parents don't know that those sounds are not correct. Let's start with the basics of learning consonant sounds, most common, and the short vowel sounds, most common. Okay. Not the alternatives of sounds. Okay. So we like to teach that. That's our biggest thing. So with the balanced literacy, they would throw in all sounds, all different spellings and sounds. So for example, if you have EA, it can say what? <laughs> it can say E, it can say A, and it can say eh. Oh, that's very stressful. And then and then there's eight ways to spell A. That's mind-blowing. Like we don't really deduce things like that as readers and writers, but to under for children who struggle, 
okay, as well as to understand higher level concepts in like multisyllabic words, more than one syllable. Think about multisyllabic words or more than one syllable words are your content words, okay? So if there's anywhere that there's a break in terms of reading and you're missing a syllable, you're going to be missing the entire paragraph, sentence, and not understanding and putting it all together. There's, there's, a, there's two extremes. One, you need to know how to read, but you also need to be able to comprehend. So I could have students who know how to read, but can't comprehend. And then I can have people who can comprehend, but can't read. So we have to make sure that those are intact. And I think the misconception is when sometimes when people say OG, they're like, you're not teaching comprehension, you're not teaching vocabulary. That depends on the program, right? You just have to make sure you're hitting all those five essentials. Like I said, phonological awareness, phonics, fluency, vocab, and comp. Structured literacy provides that. Balanced literacy does not. And my state is pretty much a whole language chosen state and you can choose whatever you want. And even if I know better, I purchase these and this is what we're using. Hopefully the tide is turning. I, after listening to hard words and reading through that and Emily Hanford during, after COVID was kind of like, yay, <laughs> like somebody else is, somebody else is going to lead this. Like I said, head down doing our job. We have trainers, over a hundred trainers across this country, teachers and fighting that mission and seeing an impact. And Hey, listen, it's not easy. It's not to sit in front of teachers to say, this is what you should be doing when they haven't been doing that. It's hard to swallow. It's emotional. It's very, it's sad. And I've had teachers crying at the end of the week saying, if I only knew what I know now, you know, what I did 20 years ago, I could help. Now I could have helped so many children that I didn't know what to do. It's a time for change and it's time. And I think it's happening. It is. It's slow. It's not fast enough for how, where everybody wants to be. And you you have children and you have a seven-year-old. It's not going to, it's probably not going to happen at the rapid speed that you want because it's, think of it from the top level, from the federal level, the federal level and disconnect from the state level and disconnect from the state level to the districts and the districts to the school and then the teachers and the parents. And it's not one thing. It's, it's all of it. So what can we do is just keep providing teachers with knowledge, providing them with the power to understand why this is important, why this is not, this should not have to be taught in high school, but it's happening. Or me teaching adults, like that shouldn't, how to read, right? There was a disconnect. So it's been happening. Yeah. The state that I'm in, so Connecticut recently, when did they pass it? It was either, I think it was last year or maybe it was in 2021. And then it's, it didn't get implemented until they just had to choose what their curriculum was going to be. So basically, you know, Connecticut signs into legislature, like you have to choose a curriculum based off the science of reading. Like you're, you are not able to use a curriculum that is not based off the science of reading. And now from what I understand, and the big controversy is that there are many districts, I will say, the wealthier districts in Connecticut who are like, this doesn't apply to us. We don't need to make changes. We have switched things around and we're still using, like, for example, I know that the school that my kids are going to are using like a a Lucy Culkin's approach of sorts where it's one tiny little mini lesson and then there's like an hour 
where the kids just stare at a book, even though they can't read like that sort of thing, which really infuriates me to absolutely like, I did to no end. I like it. Just, it's so ridiculous. But then they, but then they like sprinkle in all of this science of reading stuff that is supposed to be this well-rounded curriculum that uses a mixture of everything so that we can apply to every student and apply to the way that every single person learns as opposed to being really rigid and strict with just a curriculum that's based off the science of reading. And I'm like thinking to myself, like, if we know that this thing works, why are you like, why are we sprinkling in all kinds of stuff And, and giving teachers the opportunity? Like, to me, it sounds like they can kind of I don't know, do whatever they feel is working. And to me, it's like, why wouldn't you just want to make it easy on the teachers and the kids and just make it the same? We know it works. It doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, like, yeah no, I know. I think obviously there's some controversy out there with Lucy Calkins and her new program and her sprinkling in the phonics and the science now that she just learned about, which is, I think everybody takes this takes pause and said, I'm pulling Lucy Calkins. I don't, if she, and she just started this two years ago of, oh, now I get it. You get it because the sales have gone off down, 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 down. So let's, let's join forces here and really work together to, to educate these children and teachers. You know what I'm saying? So I can't, I can't blame just the curriculum. There's the universities. I, I didn't learn and know <laughs> many teachers that instructors that work for NCR doctors and have multiple masters and never learned about any of this. And, and so it is, it is shocking (laughs) and it is difficult to, to touch every single teacher out there. It's going to take, it's going to, it's going to take a lot of different companies to really go out there and, and shake the schools, shake the teachers into Listen, we're here to support you. We're here to help you however we can. And we have this for you. So that's why we just keep doing more and more for teachers, giving them more guidance, more videos, more resources that they need so they can just go do their job, which is teach. Right? Mm-hmm. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. And they need it. They don't have the time. Yeah. I know we briefly touched on this, but in the couple of months that I've been looking into this and we've even attended Emily Hanford came and spoke at one of the colleges nearby and she had a panel with her and it was great. And they talked a lot about just some educators being extremely reluctant to make any shifts whatsoever. Like why, but what is that rooted in? I I totally understand we've invested all of this money into curriculums of the past. And so all of our books and all of our resources and all of our teachers have been trained in something that's not necessarily based on the science of reading. And to make a shift, it's going to be astronomically expensive because not only do you have to train the teachers, you have to get all new resources, books, all of those things, because you don't want to be using things 
that are teaching children the wrong way to read. You know I mean? Like you'd want to switch it all over, I would imagine. I guess some schools could try to use those same resources and just teach it in a different way. I don't really know. I don't know enough about it, but I get that aspect of it. But what's the other aspect of it? Because I, from what I understand, it's like there are people that are like, the science of reading isn't a thing. Like I just, and is this just another like COVID isn't real thing or what? What, what is that about? Right. I know I hear you. I I would love to talk to those teachers, but like even just listening to Sold a Story and listening to those teachers talking to Lucy Hawkins or her walking into the room. I've seen Lucy talk. I've been at her conferences and I've had to sit on the floor listening to her. I also had to get up crazy. and walk out of there because I said, "Yeah, this is great for five percent of children." That's what I literally said, like you, you're in a whole nother world. Mm. You're, you're dealing with readers and writers that everybody has a bit. What you're showing is beautiful. That's like, what you're selling. You're selling <laughs> it's the beautiful beauty. way to teach. Yeah, exactly. And it is. And it's, it's, they're like awestruck, right? They're awestruck by the, by the whole craft and the art of it. And I think some teachers are really drawn to that and no one really wants to be dictated to. Nobody wants to be told like, okay, you're a, this is what used to happen back in the day. Like you're a failing school. This is your script. This is what you have to do now. And if you don't do that, bye-bye. So I think some teachers fight for their craft, right? They fight for the art of it. They fight for like, I didn't go to school to be here as a dictator for you. You know what I mean? Taking your dictatorship and dictating to the children what you are telling me to do. So I think there's a little in a little bit in that of like, how do I bring me? How do I bring my talents and my craft to these children as well? But it is there. But you have to learn the foundational skills before you start crafting it. But so like for us, like we have a scope. Right. We have a scope and sequence that we expect teachers to follow. We have the first nine letters. Okay. And in the first nine letters, you have to introduce one at a time, sometimes two at a time, depending on what grade level you're doing and all these different things. But with that, you, so let's say I was teaching M. M is our first letter that we teach the children. Very simple sound. Lips are together. It's a continuant sound. All these fun things. The teachers can bring in, you know, whatever food they want and crafts that they want to go along with that. Like use that. But you're within that, you're teaching letter formation. You're teaching words. You're teaching syllables. All that begin with the letter M. Okay. What are some objects? What things can you bring in from home? What things do we have in our classroom that begin with M? Let's think about syllables. If I have marshmallows, if I have money, if I say mom, where do we hear that sound? And doing like a lot of alliteration with them, like munchy mouths, monkeys, met Mondays, something like that, that repetitive sound that the teachers have that in them. But it takes time and it takes work. And I think it's not as pretty because it's harder because they don't have the time to do it. And I mean, I remember when I first started compared to where it is now, we would have file folders of all fun activities and books. Bring the mouse a muffin and da 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 da. And you'd have all these fun things and all these different activities you could do surrounding M. You know, teachers don't have the time to make file folders based on every single letter. <laughs> now ours is all computerized and click from here and we have digital resources for you. And then it's already done for you. But if you want to bring in and do more, you can. So possibly that I, I'm, again, speculating and, and 
and speaking from all the thousands of teachers that I have met and the resistance that I see of really does it work? And I have to, you have to believe once you try it, you see it. And then, and I've seen it in, like I said, children, adults, doesn't matter what, what color you are, where you live, it works. Now, when you were at like Lucy's conferences and all of this, <laughs> and you were thinking in your head, like, this is not going to work for the majority of kids. Like, were other people that you were there with thinking the same thing? What was the vibe? Like, you know, well, I like think I, people I in my world. Okay. Yeah. So like I would go and again, different conferences have different vibes, right? So I can go to a International Dyslexia Association and Lucy Hawkins is not going to be speaking there, but I could go to just like a literacy conference and they could be bringing in all different speakers. And so I could go into that, reflect on what she was saying, sitting around all these people who are like literally standing on top of their chairs, clapping and screaming for her because I, I don't know if they were, I believe, okay, they were seeing results for their children. Remember, Teachers go into professional, when they are teaching a grade, they're teaching their grade. They're not following them. They're not, they're not following them to see how, how is Jean doing in fourth grade? I was a little concerned about it. And, and I thought she just needed a little bit more practice and, oh, she didn't get enough help over the summer. Oh, blah, 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 blah whatever. The parents aren't reading to her. <laughs> Who knows? So there's a lot of different facets that are involved in student success. And it's not just, it's not one thing. So I, I feel like there's that disconnect between a first grade teacher or kindergarten teacher and what, what really is their outcome in third grade. And I think what all teachers could really do is if I was a kindergarten or first grade teacher, I would be like, where are they in third grade? But, and, and reflect on that. Let me see some scores. Let me see where they dipped. Okay. And if you went in and looked at their third grade score, course, because what was happening, we never even did screeners back in the day, right? You just kept teaching and be like, oh, you're reading on grade level. Oh, you need to get to this letter in the readers and you're there and you'll catch up, do this over the summer. You'll be fine. But what happens is that by third grade, what we were seeing was this huge increase in special ed where these children had no business being in special ed, but the discrepancy was so large between their ability and their intelligence. Okay. And we were seeing two years, but it was really just teach ya. <laughs> and it's just really like inspiring teachers to like, yes, there is a system in here. There is a there there is a routine, but it's a routine for anything, right? When you want to learn how to play the piano, like you you follow the steps, you follow the chords. And you learn the keys and, and you grow and you add on and you add on and layer it. I always related it back even to math. I'm not going to have my stu students do multiplication or division when they haven't learned addition and subtraction. And I think the scary part about it all to me when I was learning about this was like the fact that, well, and I was seeing my own child do this where I thought she could read. <laughs> like that to me is the scariest part where I was like, Oh, she's doing great. She would come home with these specialized books that she's memorized with her special tutor at school, you know, how to read them. And it wasn't until she was like, oh, I don't remember that word. And I was like, what? What do you mean you don't remember the word? 
She's like, well, I don't remember it. We read the book, but I don't remember this one specifically. And I was like, you just sounded out. And she was like, what? It was just like mind blowing to me. And then I was like, okay, like I, I don't, this can't be right. <laughs> but yeah, and that's like going back to those spelling lists that I was saying about like in a yeah. balanced literacy approach, it would be like, here's our, here's our theme for the week, throwing a list of 10, 20 words at them. The children have to rewrite them 10 three times, put them in a sentence, do these different activities with it. And then they memorize it for the test and they get a hundred percent. Great job. Check the box next week, ask them those words and they don't know them. You're defeating the purpose. Okay. That's not what we're, that's not what we want. That's not the scaffolding that those children need to be successful readers. So think about this, like remember as a going back to those nine letters. So like with those nine letters, there's vowels in there. And after four letters that we teach our students and children and teachers, they can start writing words based on those four letters. After nine, they can start writing sentences. And guess what? They can read a decodable text. That's success, right? That's what those children need. They need to be empowered. And, and, get, and they'll be like, oh, that's too easy for them. I'm sure there's a lot of other things that are difficult for them in kindergarten and first grade that you can layer on. We got, we have others, we have other courses and we have that we're teaching our children and we have math and they're not gonna be able to read those, the directions if we don't teach them these things and empower them and be, give, give them the confidence that they need. That's what they need. And, and to see the smile on their faces of them saying, Oh, this makes so much sense. Or, I, or having adults say, I never knew that. That when the letter C is followed by an E-I-R-Y, it says S. <laughs> I didn't know that. I don't think about it. You just know how to read the word. Oh, I have, <laughs> like I said, like this was like a whole new world for me. And then I am trying. So now I have the schools giving me like her progress every week and whatever. So I'm like going over these things and I'm like, I don't. I don't know any of this. I'm, I'm like trying to break down words for her. And I'm like, I don't know. The word is just this. It just it just is. I don't know why. It just is what it is. So for me, it's like it's like a near impossible task just because I, I have no idea how to break it down and teach a child how to read. I wouldn't even know where to start. And like- Sensational the, strategies. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The English VHSs language is terrible. <laughs> it, it really is like the worst language to learn. It's so difficult. But it isn't. It really <sighs> isn't. It But- it doesn't make to a non-educator. It, I think it is hard. Like I always laugh, like listening to like my siblings try to teach their kids how to read and, and listening to how, how they sound that out. I was like, how do you do, how did you just tell her to do that? Like, how would they know? And I was even laughing if, if you ever seen Dumb and Dumber when they were reading the newspaper article and Jim Carrey's, or I don't know who was reading it, but he was sounding out the word the. Like, and, and then they're like, the, he's, oh yeah, it's, it's crazy how you it's like a shift in your brain. And for readers, it is a shift, right? To say, is it that I didn't learn? What is it that I don't know that's hindering me from being the best reader and writer that I can be? Okay. So what we were finding is that the K-1-2, they need these skills. Okay. And then the third graders and fourth graders and all those other ones, like they have some knowledge, but it could be taught wrong. Like, how do I know that the word sweet is supposed to be spelled E-E-T and not E-A or E-T-E or there's so many different combinations. And, and so they get into these practices and habits. Okay. Like I always say, practice does not make perfect. It makes permanence. So let's teach them the right way the first time. Teachers can't shy away from 
teaching these foundational skills because they think it's too easy. Okay. These are lifelong skills. They can take them from one syllable words into multi-syllabic words. And their job is to challenge and enrich them based on those foundational skills. Hmm. Now, a few questions. So say that someone's listening and they're a teacher and their school <laughs> is using a whole language and whatever they're using. It's it's not at all based off the science of reading. There's no rhyme reason to it whatsoever. But they're like, okay, I need to change this. I want to at least better myself and and be teaching them the right way. Like, mm-hmm. how, like where would they even begin? Yeah, I think that is a challenge for teachers. I'm just going to be honest with you. I've trained a lot of teachers who say they have to close their door, that they're told to do one curriculum, and so they have to close their door. And they teach a structured approach in their classroom and kind of weave in what they have to do based on, you know, because that's the grade, right? They have to give the child is not going to be based on IMSC's OG. I, I feel for them because they're torn, but they know that this works, right? And I think that is a challenge. Can they weave it in with their curriculum? Possibly. And there's a huge controversy as well saying you can't do both. Mm-hmm. Like you just do one and you do it successfully and you do it with fidelity because really you're not doing anything with fidelity then. So think well, about that's it, what right? I was saying with ours is it's, it's <laughs> right. both and it's, I don't like, how is that possible? But I know it's better um, than nothing. Like it would be, so they were getting tutoring in one way, right? At home mm-hmm. about that. Mm-hmm. And then you have to like, the, I always say to the tutors and the teachers, like that's their job to say, okay, if you struggle, this is what you can do. And be like, you have the secret sauce. <laughs> like those, those tutor children have the secret sauce. And maybe other people are going to follow and they're going to see like your growth and how much you're doing and how easy it is for you. And, and I think it's, I used to have to teach teachers how children could hide like because we, we do what we call finger tapping and we do pounding and we do all these different things and my multimodal techniques to help children learn. And the teachers want to know how, well, that's embarrassing. What else could we do? So then I had to like invent ways to do that, like tap with your foot, pound with your whatever, but, or just put reminders up on the wall and, and show like you can scaffold, right? So Teachers, you have, we always say, give students everything and then slowly pull away. But you have to do that every time you teach them something new. Don't think that they have it. Just because you taught it, like you said, it's English language. People say it's crazy, but it's it's pretty predictable. Once you know the patterns and understand the rules and the sounds, and they can do it, they can do it. It's amazing. It's fascinating to see. And we have these blogs on on this woman who was here from Iran and a tutor that was trained by us taught taught her how to read in, in English and like surprise and like where her husband didn't want her to learn English. And she did. Who knew nothing about the English language? We have adults. I worked a lot with juvenile detention homes and worked with 16 to 21 year olds who were like, why didn't they teach us this? Why didn't they teach us this? I, I missed out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but in eight weeks, I taught them how to read. It's That's pretty so powerful. Crazy. Yeah, <laughs> go all in so, and do eight weeks. <laughs> like yeah. give it eight weeks, see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
with your own children, it sounds like they were being taught at the same way that a lot of children are currently being taught. What did you what did you do? I because there's parents listening that are like, I don't know what to do. Okay, so there's a problem. What am I supposed to do about it? I taught them the sounds and the letters. And I taught them like phonological awareness skills. I would just do games in the car and things like that, but I knew I'm this is my profession. So what can parents do? We have we have OG in a bag for parents, <laughs> which kind of talks a little bit about giving them some home tools that they can do, talks about the sounds of the English language. It has a video that goes along with it. And and it really was supposed and we built that for school districts that were doing our program. So then the parent during COVID, so then the parents could support them at home. So that is one great resource we have. It's like just knowing the sounds and knowing the basics between a, what we call a phonetic word and an irregular word. So a phonetic word are, we could say everything could be irregular, but there, there are rules. So all of our, in our alphabet, like if you had to write the word quit, right? It's a phonetic word, but what do you need to know in that word? You need to know qua, right? You need to know the Q-U says qua. You need to know that if I says it. You need to know T says, and then you can write that word. You need to know that there are words that are irregular, like as in the word the, right? But what do you know? What is expected in the word? If you knew the, that T-H says that's expected when you have to write that word. What What is unexpected in the word the is the E. So that's really what we need to learn. So that's what we call irregular word. Okay. But they're not learning three letters. They're learning one to add on to that. And that repetitiveness and fluency building, giving them decodable readers. You can't read a decodable reader without irregular words. Okay. So we teach both. It's a balance. And you teach everything. You teach vocabulary. You meld it all in and you build that and you talk about comprehension and you have fluency drills. You can do fluency drills just on sounds and you can have a 25 grid piece of paper. <laughs> on the table and you could put letters and they can either name the letters and keep do- doing that and timing them and say like, how long does it take us to read these letters? Let's time that hit, hit the bell when you're done or putting letter, putting letters on the grid. And, and again, each row, okay, you have 25 holes. Each row should be the same five letters in a different order. Okay. So then the next time you're going to say, okay, now we're going to do the sounds and you're going to have the same five letters 25 times all in different order. And you're gonna do the sounds, mm, t, ch, ch, whatever they are, right? And then you go from there, and then you build into words, okay? But these, we always give the children. We, our students that go through our program with these teachers are 100% successful every single day. And if not, they can fix it themselves. We're not crooked. Getting a red pen and putting X's on their paper. These children are editing their own work, and they can figure it out because they we give we have given them the tools to do. So. Mm-hmm. There's no yeah. no room for error in K one and two. So now we're in those like that's where I love to work with are those older students who have some knowledge but not all of it. They fell off and they don't understand. So now you have to teach them some rules. Okay, you have to teach them some of the. You have to teach them about what really gets tricky for older students is they never because they never learned the phonemes, the sound letter sound correspondence and isolation. That's where it struggles. So think about in a word like shrimp. It's a lot of letters in there, right? 
So you have the shra, what's that? You can even break it down further, right? Shra, eh, mm, They need to learn those all in isolation. That's that phonological awareness component. Then before they move into spelling, right? So again, it's that scaffolding. And I'm going to tell you right now, the number one missing component in an undergrad program is phonological awareness. And it's also, so it's, so if it's missing in the undergrad, it's missing in textbooks, it's missing at the schools, it's missing in these children, number one predictor in reading success. Which again is like just wild to me. But I know. <laughs> yeah. I was at high schools, like visiting high schools and they were doing like phonological thing, phonological awareness skills to build them up in high school because they were struggling so much. That is just so crazy because I feel mm-hmm. like how do you even get anywhere else? I know. It's short, but it's short. You shouldn't be doing that for, that's, that should be a five minute drill. Well, that's the thing is knowing how to pace yourself and move through the system effectively. You can't be doing phonological awareness all day. You should be doing that five, seven minutes tops a day. You should be doing a lesson. If you're doing, when we teach in the regular classroom, you know, we're doing 45, 50 minute lessons. That's it. You got to teach other things, <laughs> but you can apply those strategies that you're learning in our lesson plans, in every single subject. That's powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I have two random questions for you to end the podcast, but one more quick one before we do those. Are there any resources for parents, like as far as books that could aid or like kind of complement what they're learning at school if you are worried that your child is not getting the basis or the structure that they need? I think that would be that would be challenging for parents. Number one, I think a lot of if you want the the knowledge of it, if you're planning on homeschooling your children <laughs> or you just want to know ab- about what they should be learning, I, there's so much out there. I think there's Speeches to Print is a great book to read. It is more of an educational book, but it is really going to be like the foundational skills. Also, Marsha Henry has a book called Unlocking Literacy, which is tried and true that kind of takes you through the entire English language. It's a very small, it's not that big of a book, but it's a teacher textbook. And for me, it's, I read it a hundred years ago and it's still very impactful and I recommend it to, to teachers and I would recommend it to parents. Like to me, that would probably be the best one. And I would also want them to listen to Soul to Story. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It was, yeah. Very powerful. Exactly. Yeah. It took us to know exactly how, where everything, you know, went wrong in the beginning and just the history of it and where we are today. Is- There's also, my goodness, I'll just look. There's the Reading Rockets website as well. Looking to see. I think you should look that up because that kind of gives you like all the skills of each level of what they can do, what they should be taught. So that's a great website. And it's like launching young readers. It's like readingrockets.org, I believe. And then the speeches to print is with Louisa Motz, who's a national researcher. She's actually coming like coming to our we our literacy group that we have for all of our instructors. So she's a valuable person who also created letters program, which is, yeah, but teacher parents can't take letters, but they can look at the readingrockets.org and they can read those two books. And I think that would be a little eye opening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. 
I just know it for myself, it was just like super overwhelming to even, where do I go from here? <laughs> what what yeah. are the steps I can take? And you, know. you don't know if you have parents who are worried about children with dyslexia. And Fort and Gillingham is, like I said, synonymous with dyslexia. So I think that, like we always say, it doesn't matter if you have it or not. They have to really pay attention. I think parents know like if children are struggling in some way. And sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes it's you don't realize what skills they should have and when they should have them. So are they rhyming? Can they rhyme? Like when should they be rhyming? Are they, are they, are they using the same vocabulary? Because think about oral language, like we're wired for oral language, like all of that knowledge, like how receptive they are to as babies and how they speak and they repeat what you say. And it's so exciting. It's powerful. But children sometimes who have dyslexia struggle with that. So they might be like less vocabulary and may, may, may. I just want to, I don't want to say they definitely have this, but they may show some of those qualities like pr- pronouncing words differently and saying aminal instead of animal. And can we do to fix it? We, they are, we have a parent whole we have a whole group of people working on our parent group on our website right now. And it's going to be a great resource for your parents too. So I'll send that to you when that's complete. Awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. I saw there was like, you obviously have a lot of resources for teachers, but then there was also like free resources that I had seen on your website as well. Yeah. Yeah. So on our, so we have what we call freebie Fridays <laughs> and we have a lot of freebies on our website. So Again, I don't know if that would be something challenging for parents or something that's helpful, but if they see something that they're learning, it could be a fun little activity they could do with them. Mm-hmm. And also and, if you're a teacher, I mean, like those yeah. things are cool out there in that specific section of what they're trying to teach their children, their kids at school, their students. Yeah. And our um, Instagram is probably the best for parents mm-hmm. as opposed to the website. I think that could be really intimidating, but I think our Instagram is very parent teacher friendly that they can get a lot of tips and tricks. Mm -hmm. These are unrelated to the podcast. So you can, you don't need to, your answers don't need to be based off what we talked about. So the first question is, if you could give one piece of advice for mothers, what would it be? Mm -hmm. Have a great support system. Mm -hmm. Because it takes a village, can never do it alone. 100%. And of course, here in America, we thrive off of individualism. So it's yeah. But I mean, I find that as a yeah, I find it in my work life and my home life and my friend life. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people are are with you no matter where you are. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And the last question is: if you could make one meal (laughs) for your whole family that everyone would enjoy, that's relatively quick and easy. So that's probably not the best question for me because I'm Italian and I have five children and we, I have to make very large meals, but I've perfected them. So I make them pretty quickly. So I have my 20 minute meal. My 20 minute meal is orncetti pasta with Italian sausage, kale, spicy, like red pepper flakes. And I put like chicken broth in there with garlic and I boil the pasta and throw broccoli chopped up and literally take some of the pasta water from once that's done and throw it all in one big pot and throw some cheese on it and that's it <laughs> and it's their favorite it sounds delicious and i'm sure you don't go by any <laughs> recipe you just kind of like whip it up which is I'm like how are yeah. people like you i'm well, also cooking for four so i'm well for a lot well, i get family it. Of six so it's yeah. it's it's I, I truly don't know where i'm going to go from here because right now 
I have two that don't really eat dinner. They'll pick at it. Right. So like whatever that they're not really feeding them right now. Right. I don't need to make the portions that big. But once they are older, I do right. need to make the portions. Yes. So I'm like, I don't even know what to do with normal recipes because I'm like, do I double it? Do I triple yeah, it? I don't I know. know. I don't know. I know. If I've never made if I've never made the recipe before, it gets really tricky. It decided they have to eat leftovers so that they have to do that. So I always do. It's terrible, but we always do two pounds of pasta. Like our, we have a family of seven. So they always eat leftovers and they are always hungry. <laughs> yeah. Three boys. Yeah. Plus yeah. my husband. That's a lot of people to feed. It is a lot of people to feed. Bless you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you too. You too. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Jean, for spending a little bit of your afternoon with us. This was really great. Yeah. Thank you, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. It's been, it's been lovely. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. All resources mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes on lindsayandco.com. To continue these important conversations, head over to Motherhood Meets Medicine on Instagram. Let me know what you learned from this episode and who you would love to hear from next. I always love getting feedback from you. If you're finding value in this podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and share with a friend. This will help us to reach even more women from around the world. I'll catch you next week. Until then, don't forget to find some time to unplug, unwind, and have a little fun. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.